0: Welcome to the Co-Mission podcast. We're back for a new season with a summer of all new talks. We're going to be spending the next few weeks at Revive, Co-Mission's annual Bible festival, which took place in June this year. Coming up, we'll have talks from Jason O'Shea, Rachel Jones, Jason Roach, and more. But today we're hearing from one of our big top speakers and one of the pastors at Brixton Local Church, Yannick Christos Wahab. Yannick was speaking on propitiation as he preached from Leviticus 16 verses 1 to 22. This world, this world that we live in, this world is broken. Right? This world is broken. For many of us who live in London, we know this every time we're on our way to work, it's rush hour, you're trying to catch the train, it's the central line, and it's already full and you just squeeze on to the train, and as the train is moving and you're squashed up against the door, you're reminded that this world is broken, right? You're reminded that this is not the way this world was meant to be. But there are also some far more serious things that remind us about the brokenness of this world. When we look at extreme poverty in the world, when we think about the reality of disease, When we think about knife crime in London, and it seems every day you you turn on the news, someone else has lost their life. And even if we don't die through knife crime, the truth is, as Kevin said earlier, every single one of us will die. And when we experience death, we are reminded that this world is broken and no one will really disagree with that everyone kind of agrees that this world is broken but biblically we really we have to say more because this world isn't just broken this world is cursed this world is cursed by god and it's cursed by god because god is angry with sin The way this world is, the brokenness of this world, it points to something. It points to the fact that God is angry with sin. But then we must take it one step further, right? Because sin isn't just some abstract thing over there. God is angry with sinners. God is angry with sinners. And when we look at the injustice, when we look at the evil that we see in this world, it's a good thing that God is angry with sin. But we wouldn't want a God who is indifferent to the kind of evil that we see in the world. But the bad news is that we are the cause of the evil and the injustice in this world. All right, the, the bad news is that we, we are the cause. And so therefore God is not just angry with sin, God is angry with us as sinners. And what this means, ultimately, is that there is death in the world and that we cannot be in the very presence of God. We see this in the the very first sin in Genesis 3. Ultimately, the the consequence of that sin is that death comes into the world and Adam and Eve are removed from the Garden of Eden. They're removed from the presence of God. And so the question then is, How can sinners like us dwell with God if God is angry with sinners? And this question of how sinners can dwell with God is the question that Leviticus 16 helps us to answer. The chapter begins with these verses. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. And so Leviticus 16 is specifically framed with reference to something that happened back in Leviticus 10. And in Leviticus 10, what happened was that Aaron's sons, two priests, they tried to go to God in the tabernacle where God dwelt, they they tried to approach God in their own way. And the result was that God killed them. And God killed them because God is angry with sinners. We, We can't approach God, we can't waltz into God's presence if he is angry with us as sinners. If we can, if there's going to be any access to God, something has to be done about God's anger with sin, God's anger with sinners. And the day of, the, the day of atonement is God's answer to that problem. Right. How can sinners like us be in God's presence? And once we see that, we see the beauty of Leviticus 16. And we see the, the beauty of the whole book of Leviticus. Right? Leviticus is typically the place where Bible reading plans go to die, right? <laughs> um, you, so you start off, your year, you're convicted, you haven't been reading your Bible, and like this year you're going to do it, and you start off with Genesis, and it's like Abraham and Joseph, it's all great. And then Exodus is basically the prince of Egypt, so that's great. <laughs> and then you get to Leviticus, and it's just like, what is this? And you keep trying to push and push and push and push. And then in the end, you just give up. And you know, I'll I'll pick it up next year. But as soon as we, once we recognize the seriousness of our sin, we recognize that at the heart of this chapter, at the heart of the whole book, right? Leviticus 16 is right at the heart of this book. At the heart of this book is the story of God's grace. And how how God wants to bridge the gap between us and him. How God wants to invite us in as sinners into his very presence. The the truth is we are sinners. We have no business in God's presence. We have no right to be there without facing the judgment of God. And yet the, the beauty of Leviticus 16 is that God provides a way for us to come to him, though we are sinners. Because yes, God is angry with the world, and yes, God is angry with sinners, but God loves the world. He also loves the world. And he wants to provide a way for us to have access to him. And so it's clear that if we are going to have access to God, something needs to be done about God's anger against sin, God's anger against sinners. And the technical term for this is propitiation. Now, I probably should have drank more water before I tried to say that. Uh, I've been practicing all week. Um, but propitiation is basically the means by which God's anger with sin is satisfied so that we can be in his presence. That's what propitiation is. And in fact, we see that language All over this passage. The the term that's translated here, the atonement cover, it it could be translated as the place of propitiation, the place where God's anger against sin is dealt with. This atonement cover was in the was on the ark behind the curtain in the tabernacle where God's very presence was. And here in Leviticus 16, God provides a way for God's anger against sin to be dealt with so that Aaron can go in behind the curtain to be with God. And the way this happens is through substitution, basically a swap. This is what Richard was speaking to us about last night. There's a swap that takes place and there are two goats in this passage. And these two goats are the substitute for Israel. They stand for Israel, they take the place of Israel as sinners. And you see this idea of substitution, you see this idea of the swap, particularly in verse 21, which is on our booklets. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. Right, the goats take the place of Israel as sinners. Right, the, the goats are the substitute, they're this swap. And what happens with the substitute, what happens with the goats is that they take the penalty, they take the judgment, they take the condemnation that Israel deserved. They take God's anger, God's anger against sin is pulled out on the goats instead of Israel, so that they can be with him. And so what happens again, there's two goats. One of the goats is killed and the other goat is sent out of the camp of Israel. It's it's sent away from the presence of God. And again, this is important because that's the double punishment that we see in the law. When there's sin in the camp of Israel, the the way that has to be dealt with is that either the person is killed or they are removed from the camp of Israel, they're removed from the presence of God. The only way that God will continue to dwell with Israel, dwell in Israel, is if sin is punished by death or removal from his presence. And again, that's what we saw in Genesis 3, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, the the consequence was that death came into the world and they were removed from the presence of God, they were removed from the Garden of Eden. And this is what God's anger against sin looks like. This is what it looks like for God to be angry with sinners. And yet, God in his grace, he provides a substitute, he provides these two goats so that the Israelites didn't have to bear the consequence of their own sin. So that through this substitute, God's anger could be satisfied. And so that they could continue to dwell in God's presence. Now, at this point, it might be helpful to say that that is quite weird, right? This idea of God's anger needing to be satisfied. But apart from this truth, there is no good news. God does not primarily save us from the brokenness of this world. God primarily saves us from himself because God is angry with sin and he's angry with sinners. And yet in his grace, he provides this substitute. And imagine that. All the sins of the people, all the rebellion. Right? Verse 16 makes this clear. All their sins, no matter what they've done, on one day, it's just gone. Right? All the lies, all the stealing, right? everything is gone. God's anger against all that sin is dealt with through the swap through the the death of one goat and the removal from God's presence of the other. And and this is all fantastic. This is amazing. But the issue is, as we kind of continue the story through the Bible, the author of Hebrews makes clear that the blood of bulls and goats doesn't actually accomplish anything. It doesn't actually accomplish anything. And, And it's obvious why that's true. It's because the life, of an, the life of an animal is not equal to the life of a human being. So I am not a pet person at all, whatsoever. My wife is. Um, and so as we were kind of negotiating before we got married, um, she got me to agreeing that we would have a pet. Right? Um So I said, I agreed we would have a pet, but my rule, one of the things I put forward was that we were not allowed to refer to the pet as if the pet was a family member. <laughs> now, for some of you, you're looking at me in horror and you think you're a terrible person. But the, but the truth is, pets are not human beings. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter how much you love your dog or how much you love your cat. It's not the same thing. The the life of an animal is not equal to the life of a human being. Even the the great animals, even the really great dogs, even a spotless animal, even like a a, a perfect, seemingly perfect animal is not equivalent to the life of a human being. And so there's no way that an animal can really swap with a human being. If God's anger against sin is to be dealt with, ultimately it's going to take more than the blood of an animal. And so you might be asking, what was the point of this all? Is this just like pointless bloodshed? It's not. It's not because the Day of Atonement, it really does deal with the wrath of God. And it does so because it points forward to something else. It points forward ultimately to the cross, it points forward ultimately to the blood of Jesus Christ and we see that in Hebrews 10 and if you look, Hebrews 10 should be printed on our booklets, I'll read the first three verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the the point of Leviticus 16 was always to point to the cross. The cross, which is the theme of this conference and really is the theme of our lives. Because it's on the cross, it's through the blood of Jesus that God's anger against sin is dealt with. It is through the blood of Jesus that we have access to God beyond the curtain where we can be with him. The great news of the gospel is that God sent his son to live a, a perfect life so that he could take our place on the cross so that he could swap with us. Jesus is our substitute. And on the, on the cross, he took the punishment. He took the anger of God against sin with this double punishment because he, he not only experiences the humiliating death that we deserve. He also experiences separation from the father. But on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then for the first time in all of eternity, the Son of God knows what it feels like to be separated from the Father. Knows what it feels like to experience hell in our place. He is our scapegoat. The wrath of God that we saw all the way back in Genesis 3 with death and separation from God, it's been taken on by the Son, the Son of God. He's our substitute. He's our scapegoat. And what that means is that we have access to God. We have access to the very presence of God. We can go and be with God in confidence without fear of judgment because Jesus has taken the judgment of God in our place. And because this is the blood of Jesus, because this is the blood of the eternal Son of God, because this is not the blood of bulls and goats, his blood has infinite and eternal value. Because it's the Son of God, he is able to take the full wrath of God in our place. The cross of Jesus Christ is all about the love of God, precisely because The cross of Jesus Christ is the place where God's anger, where God's wrath against sin is poured out so that we might have access to him. And it's not because he needs us. It's because we need him. And so Jesus is this scapegoat. He is in one sense, he's both goats in Leviticus 16. He takes the wrath of God for sin in our place on the cross. But what difference does that actually make to you? What difference does that make to me as we live our daily lives in London? And I think Hebrews 10 here is gonna give us three main ways, three main ways, three main ways that we can apply the truth of Leviticus 16, the truth of what God did on the cross to our daily lives. In verse 22, again, here in the booklet, it says, It asks us to draw near to God through the cross of Jesus Christ in light of that truth. We should draw near to God. And at this point, I I don't want to take it for granted that just because you're here, that you are trusting in Jesus Christ and that you have access to God. Because the truth is attendance at a commission church does not guarantee you access to God. Attendance, even at Revive doesn't grant you access to God. Forget what your Revive rep told you. It doesn't, <laughs> right? The, the, the mere fact that you're here does not mean that you are trusted in Jesus Christ. And in light of the reality of God's anger against sin, I am pleading with you to put your faith in Jesus Christ because God's judgment against sin is coming and the only safe place to be is in Jesus. I began by saying that the way this world is, it points to the fact that God is angry with sinners. And that's true, that's definitely true. But the way this world is also points to the fact that God is patient with sinners. Because the truth is, we still enjoy ice cream, right? We still enjoy the sun, great weather, like today. We still enjoy our friends and family. And all of this is a sign of God's patience with sinners. But the Bible teaches clearly that God's patience will not last forever. This world is crying out for justice. And the Bible says that a day is coming where God will bring that justice. And the only safe place to be is to be in Jesus Christ. Now I remember hearing an analogy about this uh, and it was all about forest fires. Now, if you're into like the nature shows and you watch that kind of thing, you may have seen what it looks like to, to see a forest fire. If you haven't, it's absolutely devastating. This fire goes through and it just sweeps through everything. It destroys everything in its path. Right? It's destructive. You're looking at it from up above and you're seeing this fire just consume everything in its path. It's a scary thing to be in a forest when a forest fire starts. And yet, I have it on good authority that there is a safe place to be in a forest fire. Because when a forest fire starts, when it starts going, when it burns through a place, it burns through absolutely everything that can be burned. If it can be burned, it will burn through it. It burns through absolutely everything that can be burned. And what that means is once the fire has gone through a certain part of the forest, once it's completely burned through a certain part of a forest, it will never come back to that place again. All right. the, the safe place to be in a forest fire is to be in the place where the fire has already burned. And the truth is that there is a fire coming far greater than any forest fire. And it's the fire of God's judgment. And it will sweep through everything. There there will be no escape when the fire of God's judgment comes. There'll be no corner of the earth that is somehow left untouched. And on that day, the only safe place to be is to be found in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has already borne the fire of God's wrath. The, The safe place to be, the only safe place to be, is to be found in Jesus Christ. There is no other place to go. There is no other safe place to want you. If you are here and you are not trusting in Jesus Christ, I am pleading with you to put your faith in him in light of God's coming judgment. Go to the place where the fire has already burned. Jesus has already taken the full wrath of God. Trust in him and because of that reality secondly it should change our attitude towards evangelism verse 23 says that we must continue to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess and one of the ways we do this is continuing to profess that hope continuing to share that hope commission exists right to plant churches for the sake of spreading the gospel And the reality that stands behind that is the reality of God's anger with sin. God's coming, the coming wrath of God. If you're a Christian here, undoubtedly you have friends and family who do not know Jesus. And when you think of them, I I wonder what your thoughts, what thoughts are going through your head. Because the temptation is that we have a kind of false peace. When we think of our lost friends and our lost family, we think, you know what, they're going to be fine. It will all be okay. But the truth is, apart from trusting in Jesus Christ, there can be no escape from the wrath of God. If there was another way for salvation, if there was another way for us to have access to God, Jesus never would have gone on the cross. If there was another way for us to dwell with God in peace, then when Jesus prayed that the cup of God's wrath be taken away from him, it would have. If there was a way for us to be with God, apart from propitiation, apart from God's anger against sin being dealt with, there would be no cross. But the reality of the cross teaches us something. It teaches us that there is no other way. And therefore, for our lost friends and our lost family and and our lost colleagues and our lost neighbours, we must be sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. They will not somehow be okay unless they put their faith in Jesus Christ. We must be going to them and keep always in our minds the reality of God's anger against sin. And yet, Because of the cross, because of the death of Jesus Christ, we can go out, we can speak to our lost family and friends, and we can say that there is a way for you to escape God's anger against sin, because it has already been poured out on Jesus Christ. It should change the way our urgency in evangelism. But then lastly, this truth should affect our confidence when we go before God. Verse 25 makes clear that what we should be doing is that we should be encouraging one another. And what the author of Hebrews has in mind is that in light of the access that we have to God through Jesus Christ, we should be encouraging one another to go to God. We should be encouraging one another to have the confidence to go before God. One of the great problems in a Christian life and often it's in the background somewhere, is this thought in the back of our heads that God is angry with us. We have this sense that God is out to get us. We have the sense that God is out to punish us. We, we want to go to God in prayer, but we have the sense that God doesn't want us to be there. We, we, we wake up on Sunday morning and we want to get to church, but when we think about the way we've lived our lives the, the, the last week, we have this sense that God doesn't want us there. That We have this sense that we have no right to be there. And it's at times like these that the language of the scapegoat is so helpful. Right, I want you to think of Aaron. I want you to think of Aaron as he lays his hands on this goat. And he confesses all the sin, all his sin, and all the sins of the Israelites. And he confesses all of that sin on the goat. And now the goat has that sin. And I want you to think what it would have been like to be Aaron as you stand and you literally watch the greatest problem you've had, just walk away. You literally watch your sin disappear off into the wilderness because God has provided a substitute. Well, again, the great news is that Jesus is that scapegoat. And so every time we look at the cross, every time we look at the cross, every time we think about the cross, every time we sing about the cross, what we see is our sin on Jesus's shoulders. And because God's anger is because of our sin when we see that scapegoat walk off into the wilderness when we look at the cross we are reminded that God is no longer angry with us we are reminded that God is now welcoming us we are reminded that we are no longer enemies of God but we are friends of God we are children of God the Son of God did not die in vain. How is it that we could be condemned for our sin? If Jesus has been condemned in our place, how is it that God could still be angry with us? Those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, if God has already poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus has drank to the very bottom, the cup of God's wrath for all who are trusting in him. And what that means is we can go confidently before God. We can go confidently before God in prayer. We can go confidently before God when we gather in worship. Because we know that God is no longer angry with us. We can go before God and know that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the arms of the Father are always open wide to us. He is always always inviting us in. He always wants us to be there. We can go before God without fear of punishment because Jesus, our scapegoat, has been punished in our place. And we do this as we see the day approaching. That's the language of Hebrews 10, 25. We do this as we see the day approaching. Because our access to God's presence now is a shadow compared to our access to God on the final day. Because God has promised in his word that this world won't continue on as it always has. God has promised in his word that one day he's going to redeem all of creation and he's going to bring about a new heavens and a new earth. And on this side of things, we approach God with, in prayer, we approach God in in corporate worship. But on that final day, we won't ever talk about approaching God. Because all of creation will be God's tabernacle and all the earth will be full of the glory of God. There will not be a single place that is not full of God's presence. And there will be in his presence without fear of death because death will be no more. And we will worship him forever and ever. Now on this side of things, because of Jesus, we are freed from the penalty of sin. But one day, we will be freed from the very presence of sin. And there we'll be free to enjoy him forever. Never wondering, never fearful about what sin may come up. Never fearful about ever being separated from him. Because we will dwell in his courts. We will rejoice with him and in him forever. That day when we are finally freed from sinning, we will see his lovely face. That day when, when cleansed by the blood of God in blood, washed linen, we will sing his wondrous grace. And the song that we will sing for all eternity is how God through his son, through the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross, satisfied his anger satisfied his wrath so that we could be with him we could enjoy him forever let's pray gracious God Lord we thank you Lord we thank you for the cross Lord every time we look at the cross we see what we deserve Lord, we deserve nothing from you apart from judgment and condemnation. Lord, we are rebels against you. And yet, Lord, in your infinite grace, you provided a scapegoat. You provided your own son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, in light of that, help us to draw near to you. Help us to keep proclaiming this wonderful gospel. Help us to come before you with confidence as we anticipate that final day where we will be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll have more from Revive 2019 in our next episode, but why not check out the archive for talks from previous Commission events? They're over at commission.org slash podcast.